Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, you know, sometimes in the environmental movement, you'll meet these people who seem to believe that human beings are a blight on the planet, you know, and that the planet would be better off without us, and we're in the process of wiping ourselves out, and maybe that's all for the best. I actually don't believe that. Uh, I actually believe we're here for a reason, and that the Earth went to a lot of trouble to evolve our big brains and opposable thumbs, and she's like, they're rooting for us to figure out how to use them. And what starts what here changes, changes the world. world. Well, I've got to admit, I, admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreamers. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think, don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other, and we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA, it is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever, well, it didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? My fellow Americans, it's time to speak out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. Their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much, and may God bless America. <laughs> I also think it's an impossible idea to organize and mobilize people around. <laughs> you just cannot inspire people to take action around the premise that everything is better off if they were dead. <laughs> but I think that smart environmentalists, permaculturalists, and I think this has been part of indigenous wisdom throughout the ages, understand that people are part of the earth and that to heal ecological systems, human intervention and human wisdom can be useful. And that also to take care of people, 
to really create systems of justice and abundance that are going to meet human needs, we absolutely have to take care of the Earth because we aren't living on some outer space station. You know, we aren't on Battlestar Galactica hurtling through the galaxies. We are living on the Earth. And if we don't take care of the Earth and the Earth's life support systems, we won't continue to do so. So those two things are inextricably combined and are the core ethics, I think, both of permaculture but also of Earth-based spirituality and of any real sane ethical system. <coughs> and the third is often framed in different ways, depending on who you're asking, but I like the way they speak about it in Africa and the African permaculture movement as care for the future. Uh, that it's our responsibility to um, look to the future and to realize that we do not have the right to use up the resources today, to, to spoil the earth today without any consideration of the generations that come after us. And in order to do that, uh, we need to share the surplus, reinvest the surplus. When uh, we do permaculture right, when the earth is healthy, she produces abundance, but that abundance needs to go back into the systems that continue to create abundance. Uh, and that also means reducing our consumption. Uh, some people call this one the principle of fair share. Uh, that way it rhymes with people care, earth care, fair share. Yeah, um, but to me, this is also the social justice principle. You know that um, I don't think movements are very effective if they essentially tell people uh, what we often do tell people on the left in social justice movements, which essentially is a story that says things are worse than you thought, and it's probably your fault. <laughs> <laughs> and. If they're going to get better at all, it's going to require you to make enormous sacrifices. Uh, and if you don't do that, you're a bad person. Uh, that's not really a winning strategy. <laughs> um, but in permaculture, what we say is, OK, things are worse than we thought, but they could be better than we have ever imagined if we approach them with ethics and with smarts, you know, and to do that, it will require shifts and changes, um, but it will ultimately create a world of abundance for everybody that's going to make us all happier, healthier, and allow us to continue to pass that on to generations to come. And that, I think, is something worth working for and worth struggling for and worth, if necessary, fighting for. So. Permaculture also has a set of principles of how we go about working. And ultimately, that core principle, I think, I think of it as the one that says design relationships, not just separate, isolated objects. I think that is part of a shift we've been going through culturally for a long time now. Um, you know, it's a shift that has been happening in science. It's not even 21st century science. It's like early 20th century physics, where uh, they start to go deeper and deeper into the atom and look at 
You know, what is the ultimate particle of stuff in the universe? How do we get to the smallest little bit of stuff there is? And when they got down to the smallest little bit of stuff there was, they found there was no stuff there. You know, there was nothing but waveforms that they couldn't even tell were waves or particles. Now they think they're strings vibrating in the great harmonies of the universe. They were waves of probability. And um, that view of physics, <coughs> you know, again, it's been around now for about 100 years. It's not even a new view of physics. It has yet to shift our cultural view completely. Um, but it is there at the basis of the way we understand science. A lot of different scientific traditions from ecology, which is really the study of relationships in systems, uh, the systems theories and understandings that underlie things like computer systems and the World Wide Web and the kinds of technologies that we have started to evolve all come out of the shift from looking at isolated stuff to looking at relationships. And part of looking at relationships is also looking at pattern. So I want to show you uh, just a little piece of the video that we created about permaculture called The Growing Edge that I did with my friend Donna Reed Cooper, who's a wonderful director. Um, hold on for a technological moment here. All right, doesn't like the video, so we'll just keep with the PowerPoint. It's the mysteries of technology. <laughs> Probably should have like burned some incense to it before we started, right? Yeah. So, um, but I will say this about pattern. In permaculture, we look at patterns. We look at core patterns, like the way that nature uses certain patterns over and over again, like the branching patterns that are the uh, same in a leaf or a tree or a river system or the veins in your body. And we look at that and say, why is that pattern used again and again? What does it do? And when you look at what it does, you realize that uh, it's a pattern of flow, of two-way flow. And it's a pattern for filling space, a pattern for absorbing, for gathering in and concentrating and dispersing. And that's why it works in your blood and why it works in a river and why it works in a leaf. And when we understand how those patterns work, then we can understand how to use them and employ them in design. I also think that looking at patterns um, is something that is part of, again, that shift from looking at things as isolated objects in looking at things in relationships. Um, when we look at patterns in art, patterns in culture, patterns in sculpture, uh, you'll see, if you look at early works of art, you'll see that these same patterns that we work with in permaculture, the branching pattern, the spiral, the wave, uh, the meander, the radial pattern, are used over and over and over again in art. And one of the thinkers, scholars, who looked at this in terms of the old goddess religions was Maria Gimbutas. Um, she 
was the director of the Department of Indo-European Studies at UCLA for many years. She actually was here at Harvard uh, for a time because she was an immigrant from Lithuania who came to the US after the war. Her husband was working in Boston and she was, Harvard allowed her to be an unpaid fellow here for a while. <laughs> to research uh, because she was one of the few people who actually could read the archaeological reports coming from Eastern Europe because she spoke something like 15 different languages. Um, but her work has been very influential in the goddess movement in looking back at some of the early archaeological stuff that was pretty much ignored by archaeologists and anthropologists and one of the things that she did was she looked at tremendous numbers of artifacts and looked at the patterns of the art and the archaeology and out of that she believed she could reconstruct some of the beliefs and understandings of these old European uh, traditions now, there's always a lot of controversy about her work. Um, and if anyone's interested in pursuing this more, ask me a question when we get to questions. Otherwise, I can rant on about it forever and ever. Um, but I will say that I think really the, what the controversy goes down to is that she, again, was a pattern thinker and was looking at patterns and relationships archaeology went in a direction that said, no, you can't do that. You can only look at separate, isolated objects and their provenance and the material culture, and you can't speculate. Um, and I think for those of you who are scholars and thinkers, it's worth looking at that question in many different disciplines uh, to say that idea that only the material is real and worth looking at uh, is, in a sense, a belief system. Uh, it's a set of values we have voluntarily adopted. And it may not actually represent the most objective form of knowledge. Over a lifetime, all of us change to an extraordinary degree. From a physical perspective, we start off as a little bundle about 50 centimeters high with cherubic features and elastic soft skin. I, I want you to understand that ask yourself at all times what's the reason you're doing or trying to do a same thing do what you do. Why go this far? Why try to learn this much? In the intervening period, every single cell in our body will have been replaced, often many times over. So think about, think about it. You laugh, you think, and you cry. That's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week. And we'll have gone through all kinds of experiences that perhaps leave almost no trace in memory. Remember, if you think you are you are And remember, there's no such thing as bad luck, only lost opportunities. Never, absolutely, absolutely never. never. Show yourself. Who am I? I'm a champion. We carry the same name throughout our lives and consider ourselves as a relatively stable, unitary entity. But is it really right to think of ourselves as the same person? 
Why try to see it all? Why try to have it all? Why do it? Why learn it? Stay angry. Stay English. A standard assumption is that it's our body that guarantees our personal identity. If you think you are inadequate, you are. Now the chance change. Process all this information. Let me introduce you to yourself.